Welcome to the Gamers Over 50 podcast. On this podcast, we're going to discuss the holiday of games. There are lots of games you can play on holidays, but we have we have a lot of holidays that occur all at the same time or around the similar time frame, maybe not exactly at the same time. Some do crossover. And I really wanted to take a look at some of the holiday games. So I started doing some research earlier in the week and reading about games and kind of took a look at Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa games. Uh, I was able really to reach out to some friends and ask some questions really quick to help me kind of point me in the right direction for each. Um, and we actually included a Christmas game into our yearly kind of uh, update where we maybe buy a new ornament. This year we got a new game. And then I'm going to talk about some of my Christmas gifts when we get done. Not that I'm going to, this is no humble bragging. It's going to open up a door to talk about some cool things to get. So first I want to talk about, you know, Christmas games. And instead of, you know, that Monopoly game that starts at the night of Christmas and ends like on the 28th or 29th, or sometimes, you know, the board falls on the floor accidentally um, or is shuffled or somebody just starts stealing money out of another Monopoly game that you have. I really don't want to go into those. I don't want to go into the, uh, the traditional family strife games, as I call them. Additionally, I didn't want to go into the elephant or the Yankee grab or the games where, you know, everybody gets a number and go into that. All done that stuff. You know, I want to try something new. So uh, amazingly enough, I looked out at my good friends at Better Homes and Gardens. I actually researched and was just like, hmm, let's find something cool. I found a cool game called Pass the Stocking. Now, what's cool about this is it needs props and, you know, dice, cards, boards, games, figurines are all props in games. But in this game, the actual gifts are part of the prop and then the stocking itself. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to do uh, ability of a guessing game. And these are the mechanics. And you're going to have some, you know, take home smaller gifts that people bring. So really what happens is, you know, the, the, you're going to be, you're going to bring these over and it's something that you can uh, you know, bring back. So like, you know, that fruitcake that you may get, uh, probably a bad idea, but the cool flashlight that looks like a chicken, or I don't know, maybe if you're not a Green Lantern fan, a Green Lantern ring, you never know. Someone could be that way. Anywho, in the past stocking game, here are the rules. The goal of this is to guess, ta-da, the best guess about what's wrapped in presents. So you take these game, you take these, uh, presents out just very small you want to make sure they are smaller so again like a tiny kind of chicken light or things like that are great uh gift cards probably a bad idea because those are those are gonna be really easy to figure out and so you invite everybody to bring a small present you know generic box and you kind of try to hide its shape so if you are doing the flashlight maybe put it into a triangle um Again, put a spending limit on it. I would say ten dollars. You know, go to your local gag store if you have one in Seattle. It would be Archie McPhee's, or you can go definitely. I know you could go into your Targets or WalMarts, and they have some spaces to get those types of things. Or even in the, uh, the aisle of the grocery stores you're leaving uh, is also another good place to go. So you're going to take these and you're going to you know put you know basically you're not going to put a tag or labels a number on it. And when it's time, you're going to give her a piece of paper or pen and you're going to say, hey, write down their name and, you know, basically what they think the presents are. So as you go this, you go through, you figure it out. After you're done, you give everybody a chance with the present. You know, ultimately, someone's going to win 
Once they've all been passed around, everybody's made a guess about the identity of it. You're going to collect those, present the guess. And this is also a good time, if you're not sure what the guess is, to come up with some maybe potentially sarcastic or creative. I Let's start with creative and then go to sarcastic because that would be what happens in our household. Um, ideas of what it is. And, you know, each one, whoever correctly guesses what that present, they get to keep it. Now, if more than one person does, you create a tiebreaker. Rock, paper, scissors always works. And make sure it's rock, paper, scissors, one, two, three. So, you know, really, how many people do you need? You don't need a lot of people. I would say hmm, two to three more would be great. Again, remember, the more people you add, the longer the game's going to take. And you may want to say, you know, how long someone can try to guess the present. So maybe you put the present, if you're playing at a table with six or eight people, you put the present in the middle of the table. If you want to let people shake them or not, I'd probably say not because that takes it up a notch. Um, but put them out in there, put them down, write them down. And then, you know, the, the number that you had on yours, you can say what is now number. No, most important rule is do not guess on your own presence, please. Very important. So this is a cool game, and actually, we have a post-holiday party that we're going to be going to, and I thought this was such a neat game because it's near a space that has a gag shop or a smaller, you know, fun toy shop, and so everybody's going to be able to pull this together. So again, um, check out, if you check it out, if you need to, go out to uh, Better Homes and Gardens, or just go to Google or Bing and type Better Homes and Gardens, and type Pass the Stocking Christmas Guessing Game. Um very easy, a lot of fun, could be the alternative to that Yankee grab or elephant game out there. All right, so our next holiday, which we are in full swing here, is Hanukkah. Now, as soon as I say Hanukkah, most people say dreidel, and you are right. We're going to talk about dreidel, because I learned a lot about dreidel, and I thought I actually knew a lot about dreidel, it including the first verse of the dreidel song. I knew about gelt. I knew about, that. I knew about the history. You actually have a couple of dreidels. So I was feeling pretty, pretty uh, uppity about it. And let's just be honest. I didn't know a lot about dreidel. So really dreidel. And again, this Wikipedia is always fantastic. And what, what's great about Wikipedia is it gives, gives me so many wonderful words to completely ruin. And I apologize about that ahead of time. But, you know, dreidel is is the what they call the Jewish variant on teetotum, which was a game, the, a gambling game found in many European cultures. Now, what's cool about dreidel, and we're going to find out a lot of cool things about dreidel, is, you know, each side of the dreidel bears a letter of the alphabet. All right, so here we go. Noon, Gimel, High, and Shen. And if I said those wrong, again, I warned everybody, trust me, the next game we talk about, I'm just not looking forward to it. I even practiced some of the, the names. Um, anywho, you have these on either side. Now, what's really interesting about each one of them is each word stands for something. So when you, you know, spin your dreidel and it lands on it, let's say it lands on noon, you are getting nothing. So nobody gets to take anything. And I'm going to explain the gameplay here in just a second. But you also have Gimel, which you get all. High for half. And Shin is you have to put in to the game. Now, what really kind of makes it dreidel fun is it's kind of a betting game. Now, that game can be bet using Gelt, which we'll talk about near the end, with chocolate, the, the chocolate coins. So if you go to the store and see bags of chocolate coins, 
they actually are connected to dreidel. They can be connected into throwing into your pocket and eating them on the way home too. I have known been known to do that. But you can also use M&Ms, Skittles, pick a candy you like, candy bars. In fact, dreidel might be the best game ever post-Halloween uh, to play, uh, in my opinion, because if you're looking at a game for something that you can get rid of those candy bars you do not like, uh, anything that's a uh, taffy for me. I just don't like stuff stuck in my teeth. It's weird for me. Some other people like taffy. So, but if it's a really good game to bet now, what's really cool about this, like I said, is like, you know, let's say I saw everybody throws in five M&Ms. Great. Throw in five M&Ms, put them in the bowl, roll. We got to put more M&Ms in. Everybody wins at this point. Cause you know, not everybody's not just going to keep their M&Ms. Everybody's going to eat them and they're going to share it and be like, ha ha ha. Now, that's kind of a little bit of how Gale, the dreidel game is played. Now, what's really kind of cool about the dreidel game is, and, they, and what's interesting is Wikipedia says nowadays, so I'm going to say within the last couple centuries, there's a commonly regarded, represent the phrase, oh, here we go, Nes Gadal Hayasham, or, I apologize again, a great miracle happened there, or referring to the miracle of the of the cruise of oil. So this is, if you don't understand Hanukkah, I would suggest taking a look at it. It's a very, very interesting historical event. Uh, has also got a really cool thing, you know, um, and I'll, I'll explain, you know, Christians have kind of their advent. Hanukkah has oil, lighting the oil, lasting forever. Um, if you have a good friend, and I have several good friends, both from Israel and here in the U.S., as well as Europe, who have explained Hanukkah and let me be involved in Hanukkah, which is awesome, kind of how I learned dreidel. Um, but I had a lot of fun. It was it was something brand new to me. It wasn't just one night. It is eight awesome nights, lots of fun. And you can play dreidel every single night. Yeah, or the days before or after, um, which has happened. So, you know, it's talking about the great miracle that comes along with this and that, you know, they were referencing that dreidel is a celebration of that. All right. Now, what's really interesting about dreidel, and this is kind of just going along with it, is Afri, uh, astronaut Jeffrey, I said put those two together, Afri, weird. Astronaut Jeffrey A. Hoffman spun a dreidel for an hour in outer space. So people have played dreidel in outer space. Probably played on submarines, underwater, etc. Now, the origin of dreidel, and I'm just going to, this is a very abbreviated origin because there is a lot of history here. I would suggest if you really are interested and you hear about dreidel and you're like, hmm, this might be something fun to incorporate because Hanukkah is still occurring right now in 2019. Uh, but the origin is some rabbis ascribe, and this is when I'm reading off Wikipedia, I'm always reading someone else's words, some rabbis ascribe symbolic significance to the markings on the dreidel. One commentary, for example, connects the four letters of the four nations to which the house of Judah was historically subject, Babylonia, Persia, uh, Seleucid Empire, and Rome. That was great. Others claim the four letters ciphered Babylon, Persia, Greece, and the Roman Empire, the four ancient empires that tried to destroy Israel. Oh, dear. A gematria, and I've tried to say this one correctly, a gematria reading yields the number 358, identical to the value of the four letters used to spell Moshe or the Messiah. So this is really attached 
to the Hebrew religion. The, and it's so interesting to find out that it's connected to multiple nations and that every, you know, very interesting stuff. So the origins come around by that. Now, talked a lot about it. Let's talk about how to play. How do we play dreidel? So everybody starts with an equal number of game pieces. Now, poker tokens, pennies, M&Ms, Skittles, as we talked before, Geld. Uh, you could use anything. Battleship, the little red things you throw on Battleship. Anything just to keep count. Now, normally, the number is around 10 to 15 because that does affect the length of gameplay. And like I said, you could have like raisins. There's another one I was thinking about. Um, you could also do small oranges or cherries. Those are also pretty good. Or grapes. There are lots of stuff. Uh, so to start the game, every participant puts one piece into the pot. And as they put one piece in the pot, then they spin. And when the pot is empty, there's only one game piece in the pot left. Ta-da! There you go. There is your winner. Now, each player spins a dreidel once during their turn. Depending on which side is facing up, when it stops spinning, the player whose turn it is gives or takes pieces from the pot. Ta-da! Now, if, and we've talked about this before, if Noon is facing up, the player does nothing. Gimel is facing up, the player gets everything. Hoo-ah. If the high, high is, or hay is facing up, the player gets half of the pieces in the pot. If there's an odd number of pieces, the player takes half the pot, round it up to the nearest hold number. That's fair. Make sure you get your rules down because a little bit of gambling, people do get a little up, uh, upset about it. Now, if Shin is facing up, the player adds one of their pieces into the pot. If the player's out of pieces, they are either out or may ask another player for a loan. So that's kind of the rules. You know, the rules are comparable on, on again, that the game T totem that they had talked about earlier on. Um, but in this, you know, they could actually have for hey and H or half Gimel G get all noon for N or nothing and Shen for S or share. So you have that. So there's the gameplay pretty quick, pretty simple. It's actually a fun game that you could play, you know, sitting around watching TV or you could sit around and have a conversation. You could play it. It's a great way to teach your children if they don't, if you do not celebrate Hanukkah, a little bit more about Hanukkah and explain, you know, this is connected and explain the, you know, the folks that are that created, the people of the Hebrew and Israel itself. All right. Now, what I find very interesting about Dreidel, and I, this is other than being able to butcher the, the, take the Hebrew language and make it sound bad. Oh, I have to keep doing it. Is the analysis of it. People have actually done heavy duty analysis of dreidel. So, and I'm going to give these guys credit. Thomas Robinson and Suja Vijay actually have an equation that shows how, how many game pieces each player begins with is an implied constant and their number of players of how many spins it will take you to finish the game. So very interesting. It is O with a parenthesis of N to the two. In two, times two, not to the two, to the two, because you probably would think it was the power of two. Um, but that is one way to do it. And then, this is even better, Robert Fireman has actually shown the game of dreidel is unfair in that the first player to spin has a better expected outcome than the second player, a second better and third, and so on. Probably the truth. The first person playing gets that. So easy way to be that person other than saying I'm the person is going to go back to rock, paper, scissors or have people guess and spend the dreidel. 
Now, what's really kind of neat about it is there are collections of dreidels out there. Now, a lot of people have them because they've kept them year over year, got them as a gift during Hanukkah. But they're actually the Spertus Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership and the Yeshiva University Museum and Temple, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, and there's a dash in between the U and the L, in New York, all house dreidel collections as do the museums, such as the Spinning Top and Yo-Yo Museum in Burlington, Wisconsin. So if you're somewhere near Burlington, Wisconsin, or you're in New York, you could actually go check out during Hanukkah all of the, uh, the collection of dreidels. Now, additionally, and this is one of my favorite parts. Also, I said I, have, I probably got to say I've had several favorite parts so far, but one of my big favorite parts is that they actually have tournaments for dreidel. Now, I love tournaments for anything. I when they make fun of ESPN eight or they call it the Ocho and they have like, you know, tournament mini golf or tournament cornhole, tournament dreidel would actually be on my list of things I would sit and watch, uh, as weird as my family might think. But there is also there are several and they are called the Major League of Dreidel, the MLD. Now what is so cool is the MLD is played on a spinagogue. I think that's going to be my new favorite word uh, for the rest of the year, spinagogue, which is a spinning stadium of the MLD. Now, what's really awesome about that is that you, you see these you know, games, and these are really old games, right? Dreidel is very, very, very old. And you'll see, and I'm, we're going back to 2, 3 AD time old, very old games, but you're seeing it brought into a new flavor in the spinagogue. All right. I'd be amiss if I didn't sing you the first verse of the dreidel song. So I have a little dreidel. I made it out of clay. And when it's dry and ready, then dreidel I shall play. Oh, dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. I made it out of clay. Dreidel, dreidel, dreidel. Then dreidel I shall play. There you go. I'm not going to give you the whole thing. Now, last, we kind of talked about gelt, Hanukkah gelt, or Hanukkah money. Again, if you go to the store and you see the gold coins, and you see them near the dreidels, or you don't see them near the dreidels, go pick up a dreidel and those gold coins, come home and teach your kids or friends or family about dreidel. All right. The last part is Kwanzaa. This is the third one. So we've gone through Christmas. We've gone through Hanukkah. Now we're at Kwanzaa. What was really interesting is I learned a lot about Kwanzaa by researching maybe a game you would play because there really aren't a board game for Kwanzaa. And yes, there probably isn't a stocking game for Christmas. That was a made up game and all the other ones that are built into it. You know, dreidel is very built into it, but Kwanzaa was so cool. I learned a lot about Kwanzaa. So uh, I wanted to talk about when you would play a game during Kwanzaa. Now you can play a game anytime during Kwanzaa, but a good time to play would be during the Karamu which is the Kwanzaa feast. And this is normally held on the sixth day of Kwanzaa where you can exchange gifts and work and you know, you know, sixth day of Kwanzaa and gifts are exchanged on day seven. So you may say, Hey, I've got this great gift or last year we had this great gift during Kwanzaa, but there's what's really cool is I found a neat game I'm reaching out to a really good friend of mine, Tony. And then Tony actually connected me with a very good friend of his who is actually from Africa and he's from Libya and came over many years ago. But his family actually celebrates Kwanzaa. And I asked him, I said, what do you guys play any games? Are there games that go along Kwanzaa? And he said, we sure do. We actually play a game called Makala 
or Mansala, M-A-N-C-A-L-A. You say it however you would like. What's really kind of interesting about this, and we've talked about interesting stuff, right? I say everything's interesting, but I do find it really cool, is Makala is actually one of the oldest known games to be widely played today. So as we talked, you know, we had Shut the Box the other day. I'd never heard about it. Wildly known all over Europe. Never heard about it over here? Older game? Makala actually started out, and you know, really going into the depth of it is that they think it dates back to the 7th century is where they can prove that they have games, but they could be the 2nd or 3rd century. So super cool. Now, it is a generic name for a family of two-player turn-based strategy board games with small stones, beans, or seeds, and rows or whole, uh, of holes or pits in the earth. So this is a game you can play in the ground. You can play it with a board, which is awesome. And they actually play it online nowadays, too. Hooray. Now, the objective is you'll need to capture all or some set of the opponent's pieces. So, very interesting thing about this is it has so many names because it's not just from one country. The entire continent of Africa, including Europe and Asia, people play. So we, and I will just give you a couple of them out there. You have Aliguli, which is coming from southern India. You have, oh, this is just going to be tough. I am so sorry. Jabeta, which is coming from Ethiopia or Eritrea. And especially in, I'm not even going to try that one, Tigrash. Let's go with that. You also have the North American version whoop, over here, Kala, which is the pop, most popular in the Western world. And you have Owar or Ashanti, but played worldwide with close variants throughout the West Africa section and the Caribbean. So you guys kind of see where we're going. Okay. Togus played in Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan. Don't know, ask, ask me how I know how to say those names perfectly. You have Higasora played in Rwanda. And then you really have an entire set of Makalas for Southeastern Asia, which can also be called Konkak. And you also have Dakan or Sunkaga. So what's really great about this, this is a game, well, again, another one of those games I've never heard of that is worldwide, that is crossing culture. So I'm hoping that this game, Maybe something that you want to play or you want to take a look at. Now, again, probably going to be a little difficult to find at your Target or your Walmart. Your board game store might have one, and I probably will have to stop at Uncle's tomorrow or the next day and see if they have a copy. But if not, again, always available on Amazon. Now, I'm just going to go into a little bit of history real quick because this game, again, like I said, was found in Israel in the city of Gadara. And it was excavated in a Roman bathhouse bath where pottery boards and rock cuts were unearthed dating back to the 2nd and 3rd century. In 2nd and 3rd century, and we are in the 21st century. 1900, two millennia almost. What's really kind of crazy about this is the similarity of some aspects of the game to the agricultural activity in the absence of a need for specialized equipment you know, prisoning or irrigation, that it could date to the beginnings of civilization itself. There is a very little verifiable evidence, but I found that to be the most interesting piece that, you know, well, they, they think they found something in the second, third century. They guaranteed found stuff at 1300 years ago. Um, but it is just a game that they found this all over. Um, there are and again, last piece is they believe they may have found some that are at 6,000 BC. So that would, for everybody keeping count at home, eight millennia. 
So a long time ago, a long time ago. All right. So let's talk about the gameplay. Now, most Macaulay games share a common gameplay where players begin placing a certain number of seeds prescribed for the particular game in each of the pits. So this is very much you're going to have a board game and there are different variations built into it. Now, a player may count their stones to plot the game. A turn consists of removing all seeds from one pit or sowing the seeds, placing one in each of the following pits in sequence, and capturing based on the state of the board. The object of the game is to plant the most seeds in the bank. So you're moving seeds. This leads to the English phrase, count and capture, sometimes used to describe the gameplay. Although the details differ greatly, this general sequence applies to all variations of those games. Now, there's also the capture mode. So once a player ends his or her turn in an empty pit on his or her own side, the he or she, they, capture the opponent's pieces directly across. So once captured, the player gets to put the seeds in his or her own bank. After capturing, the opponent forfeits a turn. So very interesting, very kind of cool game, very quick, easy game. Um, it probably has a definitive amount of strategy attached to it. And it's a, a lot of fun. Now, the equipment to do this is you typically need a board constructed of the various materials of a series of holes, usually arranged in rows two or four. Um, it can be clay. It could be wood. It could be plastic. You could dig it in earth. You can carve it in stone. It must have a depression or pit or houses. Playing pieces can be seeds, beans, stones, cowrie shells, half marbles, or other small undifferentiated counters that are placed in and transferred around the holes during play. So what does that mean? Undifferentiated. So they need to be similar, similar like. Now, board configurations vary among games, but also variations of a given game. For example, in, oh boy, in Doty is played on boards from 2x6 to 2x10. The largest, Tachuba, which is from Mozambique, is a board of 160, so 4 times 40 holes requiring 320 seeds. Um, there are also the two ranked board players, usually are considered to control the respective side of the board, although more often in, made into the opponent's side with a four ranked board, players control an inner row and an outer row. Very important there. All right, so we've talked about that. Let's talk about the objective now. The objective is most two to three Roman Cala games. It's capture more stones than the opponent. Same thing we've always heard. Again, the beginning of the game, we've talked about this before. Select the whole of seeds that will be sewed around the board. The selection is, almost, is often limited to the holes on the current player's side of the board, as well as the holes with a certain minimum number of seeds. So, excuse me. I had a little drink there. Um, in this, you're going to have a process. Again, we talked about this sewing, where you're going to take your seeds from one hole or drop one by one in subsequent holes, motion wrapping on the board. Sewing is an apt name for this activity, since not only many games traditionally are played with seeds, but placing a seed one at a time in different holes reflects sewing the seeds. All right. Capturing. Depending on the last hole sewn in a lap, a player may capture stones or seeds from the board, the exact requirements of capture, as well as what is done with captured stones, vary on each one of the games. So again, we're going to have a lot of rules that can come in this. So you can create your own rules in some ways or adjust to them. Another common way of capturing a stone is each is a certain number of seeds at any moment. Also, several games include the notion of capturing the holes where the seeds are in them as well. So that's Mancala. And a very cool game to play. 
it was a game actually a friend of mine said he wanted to provide some more history and to get to his you know for like i said my friend tony hooked me up got me with my friend and he actually asked me to stay anonymous because he thought i was gonna say last names i don't um but what's really great about this is he got this game for his kids this year and he was explaining to me how excited he was because it brought in a lot of what Kwanzaa brings is history and knowledge. It is a really cool holiday. If you haven't checked it out, take a look at it. All right. So this is actually part one of a part two podcast because in the second part of this, and I'll have to do this over the next few days because i got some new games that I want to play. I actually got three games this year that I actually asked for one of them and I got two others. So the three games I got were Rick and Morty Risk. So if you've ever heard the game Risk, we're going to talk about Risk. We're going to do probably a good 10 minutes or so about Risk. The second was I got a Commodore 64 Mini. Now, if you've never heard of a Commodore 64, then I'm going to have to wonder if you're over 50 and listening to this podcast. Or if you didn't play games in the 1980s. The Commodore 64 was a uh, small computer terminal that you could write code in. It was similar to the Apple IIe at the time. The IBM, it was smaller, cheaper, but it had the best games. Really awesome, cool games. It just came with a joystick. The final one is, and if you heard earlier, we did a console podcast. I talked about which console, console I'd buy. I bought the Switch. So I actually went out and asked for the Bass Pro Shops, the Strike Bass Pro Shops, the Strike for the Switch so I could fish at home. I don't have a boat, and it's a lot harder to fish up here in the Pacific Northwest there. But it was also a cool game because you get all the Mario games and things like that. So I wanted to get a game that was a little out there and a little different. So that was one. So look for in this next week, let's say, because I really do want to get a couple games under my uh, belt. And the Commodore 64 has 60 games on it, as well as you can write code, which I'm excited about. So look forward to that. And I cannot wait to tell you about these new games in the second part.